0: Welcome in, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in our podcast at Burn Orange Nation. And you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at BurnOrangeNation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps to get the show out there, share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Feel free to connect with us on social media at... Longhorn Pod. Shoot us an email, LonghornerPublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald I'm general host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's been rewatching the Brandy Monica Versus all week, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you?
1: Uh, the boy is mine. Um, no, I, I, I. you'll have to refer to uh, my wife's uh, podcast it's called That's Just What I Heard, where she talks about. All Things Pop Culture. Actually, everyone's got a podcast these days. Um, but I'm sure, I don't know, probably, they will be breaking down what was the Battle for the Ages.
0: You know what they call three millennials talking? A podcast, right? Uh, So, uh, it's a terrible joke because I have two podcasts, but it's fine. It is what it is. We got an extra week. So we decided to break up the previews because we didn't want to give you like a 90 minute show last week. So last week we previewed the offensive side of the ball. You can go ahead and check that out. If you missed it, we talked through each position group, biggest questions, people we hope to see break out. So now we're going to do the same thing for the defense. We are 10, kind of 10 days away. From our first game, Kyle, against the UTEP Miners a day we thought would never come. I have been on record in multiple group chats and multiple podcasts even saying that I didn't think college football was going to happen. Again, a lot can happen in 10 days, but at least as it stands right now, Texas will take the field. And they've got a brand new defensive coordinator, a brand new defense that they had to install because, well, coronavirus cost us spring practice Chris Ash is stepping in, bringing a new front, a new philosophy, and, like, five new coaches with him, four new coaches with him to uh, to take the helm.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's 10 days is a lot of time. I'm really hoping that we are not in the single digits of days and, and, and this podcast is moot because some some stuff happens. But we are knocking on wood. We're crossing fingers. We're praying to Jobu. We're, we're stroking the rabbit's foot. Um, we are doing whatever needs done, Hail Marys, et cetera, um to ensure that football season starts and, and let's hope it goes to completion i'm excited gerald i'm excited to talk about defense i'm excited to talk about chris ash i'm excited to talk texas football just anytime i get to do it with you gerald but this week in particular um it's got me feeling pretty good gerald are you are you feeling up we haven't done this in, in a little while are you feeling up for a little little quiz
0: I mean, you surprise me with these things. I put in the show notes. So at least I get started, and then I come back a couple of hours later, and Kyle's like, "I've got a quote here, and I've got a quiz here," and I'm like, "All right, all right, all right."
1: Again, yeah, let's hear it. inside baseball. Gerald letting everyone know Gerald does the real work. Kyle makes fun font colors. You know, like it's clear there's a there's a workhorse here. No, um, all right. So Gerald, I'm gonna I'm gonna take you back a little before we build up to where we are. So. Over the last 12 years, Texas had five defensive coordinators. Chris Ash will be number six. Um, they've basically gone in, in three year epics, and I use that word obviously with the funny spelling, not the uh, EPIC. This is the EPOCH. Um, Gerg Robinson being the outlier there, but when you look back um, at it, there, there's a kind of pretty clear trend. And are you familiar, Gerald, with the Football Outsiders um, DF? I think it's DFEI um, metric. How they, they they will rank teams. Are you familiar with this? I am. yeah. So basically, for the listeners, they they take um, strength of schedule into account um, to look at basically get to a team's you know average per possession. They adjust for many things, including you know garbage time where they where. Um, you know, defenses have to start, right, if they get bad field position from their offense or special teams. Um, taking about as many factors you can imagine to give you the most real look at the numbers. It's a pretty good metric, um, one that I keep an eye on. So I, I say that all to say, there's a really interesting trend um, for first years of coordinators, right? Um, and, and again, we're saying three years is kind of the typical um, Gerald, do you know how many years that Texas football, since 2008, so you know, Will Muschamp years basically, from Will Muschamp to, to this current season, how many years Texas football has been in the top 10, if you had to just give me a, a guess number, in the uh, DFEI defensive rank?
0: Do I have to also answer that in an essay or is it just this? I'm just joking. Uh, So uh, I would say five. The first year of each defensive coordinator's tenure, Texas has very likely seen its best production because that's a fun trend that I identified a while ago. It's like the first year is great. We saw it with the last regime, Todd Orlando, gangbusters first year, then fell off a cliff.
1: So you are very close. The answer is four. So, oh my Vance Bedford just missed it. So, in Will Muschamp's first year, he was fourth. He's the only one who actually improved. His next year, he was third. Um, when he left, he was in shambles. Uh, 26, not shambles. Um, but his talent led pretty well to Manny Diaz, who who came in his first year, was sixth in the country in defensive rank. Fell off a cliff uh, to 63rd. Um Vance Bedford came in two years. There was, again, a Greg Robinson kind of taking over for Manny Diaz in 2013. Vance Bedford was 13th, which, again, still great. Like, if you're top 15 in your first year, uh, I I love that. Todd Orlando, 7th, and then just 44th and 54th, which I actually thought last year would be worse. I think that, that helps me feel a little bit better about again adjusted for how good big 12 offenses were just some you know special teams lapses and different things last year i thought we would be like 80th so that's somewhat better but still not acceptable for texas standards it's it's one of two times they've been uh over 50 in in you know the past what 12 years um so now let me say this because i I said all that it's a great quiz but what does it mean right like it it doesn't really mean anything unless we we take a look so chris ash himself is uh, a guy who has has done this, right? So if you look at the these same rankings, um, when he showed up at, at Ohio State, they were 57th. His first year, he took them to 13th. And by the way, they won a national championship. Um, his second year, he took them even better to 7th. They did not repeat as national champions, but were in the top 10. And he actually did the same thing at Wisconsin. His first year moved them up like 30 spots uh, to, I think, like 15. So I think Chris Ash is perfect fit for the Texas narrative of this first year. We're not going to project out five years. Let's talk year one. New defensive scheme. We know some of the woes from last year. We could talk about them if you want. Second most penalized, gave up lots of points, lots of yards. Um, You know, Craig Nivar in one game in the bowl did probably better than we did the entire season, but we have a, a history at Texas. We have talent, and then you bring in a coach who has proven to quickly turn around by teaching fundamentals, and I feel pretty good about this defense from the overall with Chris Ash at the helm.
0: It's gonna be hard to I say hard to, and I don't wanna I don't wanna like paint myself into this corner, but Texas had the two worst statistical seasons in history. Now granted both of those seasons had extra games, right? Like two years ago had what, fourteen games and then this last one had thirteen games. It's a bunch of games. So you've got In the Big 12, like, in really modern college football, two games is, like, 800, 900 yards, so it's highly likely that the stats are really inflated uh, statistically. But I really, like, I think what changes, and and I wrote about this a little bit when I wrote a piece about defensive line a couple weeks ago, but... I think what changes in this system is simply that like Ash is just trying to say okay we've got these athletes and we're going to put them in spots to make plays where Orlando's scheme required a lot of in this is not meant to be reductive and you'll hear me you'll hear me kind of walk myself out of this but Todd Orlando's defensive scheme is like a thinking man's defensive scheme and the best defenders are instinctual right and so I think as you're able to I mean you you see it with not I'm not saying that defense doesn't take thought, right? But but your job as a defender, you don't know the play, so your job is to react to what the offense is doing. And if you're thinking, you're not reacting. It's kind of what I'm what I'm trying to say. And so that's my that's the thing that one of the things that excites me the most about it. We're going to transition really smoothly into the defensive line. That's the other thing that excites me, I think, about the switch over to to Ash and, and this uh, because. In Orlando's scheme, your, your defensive linemen are more there to occupy blocks and gaps and let your linebackers and your in your secondary make plays. And I think that was exposed last year that there was just kind of a talent drop-off at linebacker. And so the defensive line, this, this may be my hottest take of the podcast, but when you look at the starting four on the defensive line, that might be the most talented group. On the field, when you look at kind of the the major groups, you've got quarterback is just a one guy one guy group, right? (laughs) When you look at the starters, Uh, running back is it's it's kind of a close one for me between running back and and defensive line, but the defensive line has some dudes, some real real dudes, and I think. As Texas switches one from that three, three down to a four down and kind of create some mismatches, but also like freeze these guys up to make plays, that's what excites me the most about this, this group um, on the defensive line.
1: Yeah, I mean, and, and here's the caveat, right, is is um we're, we're saying that defensive line with that much talent is including the jack position as, a, as defensive line because depending who you ask, some people will try to say that's linebackers to, to help with that group, to <laughs> make that group look a little better. It's like, do you want uh, four, four A's and uh, in, in two C's for your GPA or do you want five B's, right? It's, it's um I think, six in, in one hand, a half dozen in the other. But um, if we are saying this group is that good, I assume that you were including... Uh, Mr. Joseph Osai and and the Jack position and his potential to be like an All American level talent. I am I right there?
0: Yeah, he he mentioned Osai by name in his introductory presser It basically every press conference since.
1: And and it, and it makes sense, right? They they basically took um, one of the best you know high school pass rushers in the country in his class, um, saw him have a you know a pretty breakout role in that capacity against Georgia, um, and then said, "What if we make him only?" cover the pass as as a coverage Um, and he was still the best player on the defense last year and and, and again probably out of position but I think you can argue just as much that uh, TQ was out of position for what you know playing now in that three technique probably suits him much much better I honestly think playing the one technique is going to be better for Coburn um, because when you think about guys who are 350 pounds you typically think wow he eats blocks he's a space filler he eats snacks but the thing with Keionde Coburn is he does eat snacks, but he also, like, he gets off the line like our wide receivers. Like, he is explosive with his first step for that size. Um, it's more for him just making sure he doesn't have to play 70 plays or, or chase dudes 30 yards down the field because he's, you know, wants it the most out of the defense. So, I mean, I, I think you, people are going to see a lot from him that they maybe didn't realize. Puna Ford got a lot of credit for being the spearhead and that penetration. Um, but but I think, you know, I think Keonde Coburn is, is – is, is, a real asset, not just for his size, but for its ability to penetrate. And at the one technique, you're going to see that a little bit this year. But yeah, I, I think I think you literally could have three all-conference potential, you know, guys who who get get sniff in an all-American team. And I think Osai, you know, is the is the breakout favorite to be there. But I could see both Coburn, Osai. I know you really like uh, Sweat. Um, I, I, I think TQ Graham. I think all those guys have have conference. Uh, you know, first or second team uh, potential that 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 should really come out this year in this new scheme.
0: One, I don't think there's a position where if you have Keandre Coburn head up or shaded, there's a there's a bad spot. I've I've argued that I think Keandre Coburn is probably the best defensive tackle to come out of the state of Texas in a very long time. Um, but I I also think the defensive line, especially in the Big Twelve, is a group where you're going to rotate guys. Where you have to have a good too deep rotation, and I think that's where the strength of this group comes in because you've got Moro Ojomo, you've got T Sweat, who's probably going to be uh, like he's going to be a 1A, right? Uh, Byron Vaughns is a guy. You've also heard Alfred Collins and Vernon Broughton brought up on multiple occasions as freaks and as fast twitch guys and as guys who potentially are pushing for some starting time, and so I think. Texas has quietly recruited really, really well in the defensive line. The the secondary and the wide receiver groups get all of the love, but I really do think that Texas has done an incredible, incredible job of recruiting at D line, and I think it's going to show this this year. And Chris Ash said it in his intro press conference. And I keep coming back to this. He believes in building from the front and back. And so the defensive line is where he starts. And I think the other thing about this defensive line is that it's hopefully going to cover up for the linebacker group as they figure out what's going on. Tom Herman in his, in his kind of end of week press conference on Sunday or Saturday, I guess said that um, they've got enough bodies, but they need to accelerate the learning process. They're three deep, but we need to accelerate their learning. They've got a pretty steep learning curve. So, this seems like a, a spot where Texas has had some trouble. I think recruiting, I think the the state of Texas has not put out a lot of top-tier linebackers in the last several years. And then when you have out-of-state top 100 guys have to end their career because of spinal stenosis, I think it, it shows. And so they move a guy like D. shown down from safety. But I think the, the linebacker group, there's just, you don't know what to expect because there's not a ton a ton of guys that have a ton of ton of experience and so they could be really good i think this is a group that has a really high ceiling but we just don't know what the floor is
1: yeah and, and Coleman hutzler besides having you know one of the best greek fraternity president names uh in all of college football it, it has a tough job he's gonna earn i mean all the coaches make good money he's making good money he's gonna work for it he's gonna earn that money he has three converted um defensive backs basically um, that are that are trying to um trying to play in that in that linebacker position I mean if we talk about jack here I mean you, you, you I know we talked about it in defense but again he may have some shared responsibility, Um, you have Reese Leotau right now looking like maybe he might be the second at that jack position, a guy who was a tight end last year. So you're basically like, you're getting really good athletes who you know are talented, um, but it's it's where are they, where are they fitting in, right? Where can, where can they make some impact? What's the combination? Um, I mean, again, if you're a college football coach, and in an era of college football, when aggressive guys who are fast and just want to hit people, right? Like we got a lot of those guys for positionless football. As much as we talk about that, if you can't figure out how to make uh and Overshone and, and, you know, I think BJ Foster, will talk about in the defensive backs, but if he got a look here, you know, any of those guys who are playing in that kind of position group, if, if you can't find those a way to make those guys effective, then you have to look at the coaching, right? Like you have to scheme for the talent that you have and you have fast guys who are hungry, who want to hit. I mean, I think there's a little bit of coaching and technique and tackling, and we'll talk about that with the defensive backs for sure. Um, but I think it's just a matter of, you know, what's your best group of guys who want to run fast and hit hit hard, right? You have a lot of middle linebacker people who can kind of, or best suited to stop the run. Okay. All right. Like keep their responsibilities minimal, help stop some good running backs in the big 12. And then for the other kind of people playing at linebacker, really make them effective. If you, if you are going to have, you know, a run stopper in there, or you need to kind of figure out what your scheme is to help with the run with the front four that your linebackers can help in pass pro, or you're figuring out working with the defensive back. Like, Linebacker has the most fluidity front to back of any position because they they're kind of expected to do some things that the line does and do some things that the defensive backs do. So, get your most like dynamic and diverse guys out there. I, this one to me is the biggest question mark. We've said that I don't know how many times on this podcast. I mean, I, I, like I said, I, I don't even know you know at the end of the season who the guys that we're gonna talk about if it's gonna be the same as the guys we talked about. Here, Right. Like, you know, is Marcus Tillman going to be a guy who steps up? Is Tyler Owens with his just kind of raw speed going to be a guy that ends up playing the last four games of the season as a starter? Um, You know, is it is it Byron Vaughn who steps up or Benda? Uh, You know, I don't know. Like, I really, truly don't know with this one. Um, We bring back some talent from years previous, but there's a lot of question mark uh, at this position, especially.
0: There are no other words to to say it other than untested, and and I think when you test a group, one of two things happen: either they rise to the test or they they shrink away from it. And there's a there's enough talent in this group that I definitely think the rise to this to this occasion is a strong possibility, and especially, um, I mean, we saw what Court Joquist did in a bowl game last year, right, where it was, hey, we're paper thin, here's a, here's a walk-on, throw him out there, and the guy just absolutely crushes it makes a name for himself, and by the way, more linebackers need to wear big collars, that's just my thing, hashtag bring back the linebacker collar, uh, so the linebacker group is definitely one that I think will continue to have to and be forced to have an eye on throughout the season. So we go to the back end of the defense now, and this is the one where I waffled on saying the def- the defensive line was the most talented group because there is probably eight to ten guys in the secondary that would start on most college football teams. And so uh, they're trying to figure out what the rotation is going to be at corner. It seems like it's going to be like a Jamison Green, Thompson, Watson. Uh, it's going to be your first, your first group. I think Kenyatta Watson is a guy who's who's um, turning a lot of heads at the cornerback position. I think uh, at safety again, Caden Stearns is one that we know. But you've got B.J. Foster, Chris Brown again. Tyler Owens is kind of waffling between some spots. Um, and then you've got that that uh, the Nick the spur position. That's not a traditional nickel, but you've got. Um, Anthony Cook and Chris Addymore about battling it out there. And again, Addie Moore is a guy who flashed a ton uh, in his, in his experience last year. But I think in the big 12, if your question is we've got like 63 defensive backs that are all really, really good. Which four do we trot out first? And again, it's kind of like what Tom Herman said at with the running back position. It's likely that, all most if not all of these guys will see time in most if not all of these games just because of the nature of what Big 12 offenses do
1: yeah I mean you could see one game where a starting kind of five if we will with his four-two-five is Jamison Thompson, Stearns, Chris Brown, and Chris Moore. you could easily see a, 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 a you know next game where BJ Foster says you know no I, I'm the starter this is mine and takes one of those spots you could see Jalen Green um you know a guy who I've long thought was the best cornerback on on the roster I think Jamison has supplanted him as is the one for sure you could see you know Jade Barron or, or or Keaton Crawford guys who are freshmen who shouldn't be seeing this much playing time but in 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 you know August practices uh are looking great and and everyone's raving about them like it's uh it's really interesting I, I mean I think it's 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 a group that has an embarrassment of riches. If we see guys, I want this to be a year. If we see guys who are underclassmen, um, it's because they're so good again, not like it was last year because they're forced in as true freshmen. Cause we're on our, you know, I think we had something like 14 guys start last year, 13 guys start in the secondary, which is silly and definitely not a good thing. Um, when you're doing it because of injury. So, um, healthy, keep this group healthy, and then just figure out not just your best five, but kind of like what we talked about with the line, your best seven or eight um, who are going to kind of rotate through depending on the opponent, depending on the situation, depending on who's practicing good that week and really getting, you know, the the game plan put in and installed for that week really well and internalizing it and showing out in practice. Like, that's great. I love these guys driving each other because there isn't a clear one and a clear two and everyone else falls off like they're they're pushing each other because the talent level is so high and that's why I think I might argue that the defensive back is the in and and it's a great problem to have but if you take d line I take DB that's true to our characters anyways um then I, I would argue this could very well be at the end of the season our, our strongest group that we're you know we are we are riding to one of those as I talked about top 10. Uh, defenses uh, adjusted, right? Because it's the Big 12. Let's not get expectations too out of whack, but adjusted defenses in the country.
0: Good problems to have in the Big 12 because there's going to be a game where you need to trot five guys out there. There's going to be a situation where you need to trot six guys out there. We saw it in some spots last year where it's like, oh, they've got all of the, all of the receiving threats out there. Let's trot out an extra defensive back. And, and I think in... in Unlike last year where it was kind of to cover up some of the deficiencies at linebacker, I think this is because we've just got a crap ton of guys that can play everywhere, so we want to roll them out there. So lumping it in with the defense, we're going to talk about the special teams. Um, And the special teams for Texas have been special as of late, and I use that in a positive. I think even dating back to Tom Herman's first year, at least from the, the punting and then the kicking caught up with it fairly rapidly after that. But Cameron Dicker, one of the best place kickers in um, in the conference, I'll go and say, uh, 14 of 18 a year ago. Kicked, a, what, a 57, almost 60-yarder uh, last year. Incredible asset has I, – I need to look up the stat, but I think he, he, he is – at least tied or within striking distance of the number 1 spot for like game winners in school history so ice water in his veins since his freshman year we've all seen the gif uh, no worries there ryan bushevsky coming off of a clavicle injury he had a uh, muff punt fake punt situation where he ran the ball got tackled so i think that is something to Keep an eye out. I think he'll probably be great because he took most of a year off. Uh, but in the kicking game, I have very, very few concerns from Texas.
1: Yeah, I, I think there's, you, you saw some young guys thrust into action in both our, our kicking and punting um, units. And, uh, each year, kickers, punters, young guys in general are expected to get better, right? Um, you've talked a lot on this podcast about kind of the the Dixon jump. We, we remember going from, I believe I used the term fumbles McShrimp on the Barbie um, from when he, he mishandled a, a punt, and that's my most eloquent way I could I could get that out there, um, to being like, oh, my gosh, we already Mike Dixon. Like, there was a good point in time where that's all we talked about. It's like, oh, we should also talk about Sam Ellinger, I guess, or, or you know, potential Heisman running back, uh, Deontay Foreman, but it was a Mike Dixon podcast. He was that good. So we're here's to hoping Aussie 2.0 can make a similar jump up and and obviously keep his health. Um, but but I think both of those guys will benefit um, from coming back, from returning, from getting that experience. Both as younger players were pretty you know solid Big Twelve average or better um, last year and have a chance to be uh, to be even better. And I think the thing um, when you talk about punting that has to be looked at is they were really really great in um, net punting right and that has a lot to do with your gunners with your coverage and that was something coach Nivar stressed and I think with both Hutzler who's been a defense or a special teams coordinator in the past and and obviously coach Boulware that you're going to have a lot of focus there and we the the likely again we talked about Brendan Schooler um, being the wide receiver Oregon Arizona Transfer um, will probably slot in as, as one of those gunners. And then uh, it looks like Josh Thompson is, is probably the lock who's just a lightning-fast kid. Um, he, he often argues he's the fastest player on the team. Um, but playing the other gunners, so, I mean, it's going to be deadly for Big 12 punt returners uh, when Buschewski puts one up high and those two guys are coming at you if you don't put the hand up and fair catch.
0: The fair catch is, in my mind, the second-best outcome of a punt, right? Because nothing weird can happen. Again, a fumble, a muff punt is obviously my favorite result, on the, at least on the defensive side of punting. Uh, but fair catch is great because especially with the way – and we saw Bushevsky, and I wrote a whole thing about it like two years ago going into – last year, like Bushevsky had a, a tale of two seasons where like the first half he was kind of like early career Michael uh, Michael Dixon and then this, the second half of the season was more like late career Michael Dixon and so, uh, and we saw a lot of that last year, he was really consistent uh, he again, made really good decisions and I'm really, I'm really excited uh, to see, again, I'm, it's weird to say I'm excited for a punter, but if you think about a team who needs to have a defensive strength and, and a punt is your first defensive play then I think it, it's good, now granted hopefully they don't have to use him too much, but that's a whole another conversation the returners I'm down for I I don't I don't know who it's going to be I think Jameson um it was nominated for like the most versatile or on the watch list for the most versatile player because he could play uh he's a really great corner and he's also a really great return man I think he and Jake Smith will probably be your one and two on kicks but again who knows what that turns out to be we haven't seen a um a depth chart yet but Texas has a, a plethora of guys that I really think could uh take a stranglehold on those spots
1: well, and, and I mean, I'm thinking back to the to J. Johnson and, and um, Jordan Shipley days. Like, Jameson was a difference maker when he got a chance to. He only had eight returns, uh, excuse me, 12 returns total, four punt and eight kick last year. Like, that's too little. Um, unless you were just so worried about him preserving him for, for you know, his play on the defense. Uh, he needs to have, and especially given um, some of the decision-making on what to field and what not to field um that we saw from our kick returners last year if you recall um see podcasts like you know weeks five oklahoma through state. through 12 um basically last year yes in oklahoma state in particular for gerald and i ranting and raving um about that and, and jake smith one of those guys um but, but also even a, a wildly experienced senior and and uh devin duvernay but I'll say this, Jamison um, had a majority of all... UT was one of the worst returning teams in the country last year. Like, I, I kept joking that it's like they were playing golf. They were in negatives for, like, 12 weeks. They were still in negatives um, on, on uh, punt returns. I mean, it, it was bad. Jamison, though, in, in, in four punt returns, had over 100 yards. He had a 71-yarder um, right at the end of the season, right? So that was, that was huge. He had a 98-yard as uh, one of his eight kick returns that he took to the house. Uh, against Rice, but nonetheless, um, that you know, kind of set set a tone for what could be this year. As again, I'm hoping the primary because Jake Smith, who I like, and I'm ready for year two, big jump. Jake Smith throwing a lot of chips in, in the Jake Smith uh, bucket and bandwagon here, but his career um, punt return average is negative point zero point six seven. That's six punt returns for negative four yards, including uh, at least one fumble and um, another six bad decisions to either field or fair catch when you should have done the opposite. So I like Jake Smith, though. I'm expecting at least one big return from him or two, and and a a whole bunch of them from Jameson, who's going to be challenging Mr., uh, Mr. Brendan Schooler. I think he's just coming to the Big 12 to be the Big 12 special teams player of the year. I think Jameson's got something to say about that with his two to three return touchdowns.
0: I love the competition for Gunner that Kyle has created. It gives us a weird storyline to keep track of. Uh, and we'll go ahead and have a conversation about this. So we, we talked about big games last week. And so now in our final preview, we've got we've to gotta put some money where our mouths are and do a little record predictions. We'll probably do some more predictions next week. But this is the big one, Kyle, record predictions. If you had to put a number on it, Kyle, what do you say – for Texas this
1: year in total. I just want to do a quick caveat. Do you mean regular season or in total?
0: Let's, let's go regular season plus potential conference championship game. If you have, if you feel so moved.
1: Okay. I think that's, that's very fair. Then I'm, I'm saying 10 and one in those games, I'm going, I'm going all out. I'm, I'm saying that they will beat Oklahoma state. I'm saying that they will beat all the teams who do not have the talent that they have, um, in the regular season, even though that's been a challenge for us in years past, where we've had more talent but have been out coached or just haven't seen that talent, realize I'm talking about the Iowa States, the the TCU's, um, the West Virginias, the Iowa, you know, the the Kansas States. Like, I, they're gonna they're gonna take care of all of those teams, um, and 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 I think they are going to win one of the two sh- showdowns with OU. Um, I'd love for them to win both, uh, but but I think realistically right now a fifty fifty with OU probably two of the like let's say seven or eight or, or even shorter list of best teams in the country. Um, you know, that that could be a fifty fifty game this year. Um, so I I'll I'll be kind of realistic and say ten and one.
0: Yeah, and, and I think that's what I said on, on the ten twelve podcast last week is is it's hard to beat the same team twice in a year. And maybe we're we're probably gonna get called Sunshine Pumpers. We've we've been called that before, um, which is which is fine. I, I'm not Always in a positive mood about our Texas sports, but I'm trying to be more optimistic, Kyle. It's something I'm working on. Uh, but I, I'm of I, I believe that if Texas goes 10 and 1 and splits with OU and the, the 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 split is on the side of the Big 12 championship, like that is that is the most successful season since Colt McCoy walked these walked these hallowed halls. Like I'll go ahead and say it. Uh, because 10 and 1 in a conference championship especially with the teams that aren't playing this year. If Texas, if if there's still a college football playoff, Texas has got an outside chance at like sneaking in there. So I think that's, that's the conversation that really has is like, can Tom in year four and, and granted, I don't, I, we've talked about it that. I don't think Tom Herman's seat is as hot as people think it is nationally. And I think either way, COVID probably got him an extra year, but I'm a firm believer that I think Texas has the goods to to line it up against anybody in the conference. Like again, OU and Texas needs to need to be the two best teams in the conference for the sake of the conference, and I think Texas is finally back to that. And I, I won't say that I won't use the TIB terminology. I don't know if Texas is back, but I, I think Texas is at a point where they are. Able to compete with OU on that same level and and have a shot to uh, unseat OU, who's who's kind of owned the conference since its inception.
1: Yeah, and, and I mean, you said an outside shot. If they go ten and one and and kind of get redemption against the team that beat them again, a, a themselves probably at that point a. 10-ish, 9-ish win OU team. Um, I think that's better than an outside shot at the College Football Playoffs as the Big 12 champion in that scenario you painted. I think that's a really, really, really good chance uh, as the Big 12 champion, as, again, your only loss being to OU, who you would have at that point redeemed. Now, if they don't win a Big 12 championship this year, like I don't want to see that. I want them to win the Conference Championship, but it's not if it's the other way and it's 10-1 and, and they win the regular season and lose the championship, we, we've, we've done that split, and it stinks, right, um, to, to lose in the conference championship. But, uh, you know, I, here's the thing. Like, for you, Gerald, do they have to make it this year? Like, if they don't make the conference championship, is it, a, is it a kind of a wasted season? I won't call it a wasted season,
0: but that means you probably lost multiple Big 12 games, and I just don't. Texas going 8-2 and two this year – feels disappointed seven and seven and three I'm I'm screaming eight and two I'm real real frustrated um and maybe that's too lofty of expectations and, and we're doing that thing that Texas fans do where we have outsized expectations but like with the way the changes they made on the staff the talent they have coming back Sam Ellinger as a senior in the offense that they have I think the changes they're making on defense and just what we've seen from them so far Two losses, three three losses again is I, I I'm I'm screaming. Two losses, I'm real frustrated now. Oklahoma State's a really talented team. OU obviously is always terrifying. I I don't like I don't buy the Iowa State hype because it's Iowa State. Like it's just one of those things where I, I mean, Texas has what eight and four or eight and five odds to win the conference. So Vegas sees it, and I think Texas has a really good shot to to end up. Winning the conference.
1: Yeah, and I, and I think if something gets 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 screwy this year and they end up 9-2 and two, but they beat OU and they've lost to Oklahoma State and, and someone else but made it back to a um, Big 12 championship through some series of, you know, whatever crazy series of events, I'm not going to be super mad. I think they need to win the games that they, they are in front of them, get to the conference championship, and then call it a success. Win the conference championship and we're feeling great again. Like, we are feeling... Texas football, we're going to be unbearable. Every person on this podcast, every person who listens to this podcast, everyone on Longhorn Twitter and the Greater Twitter, we're going to be unbearable. I want all other fans. Uh, I know y'all listen to this. Uh, to know we're going to be miserable if we win a conference championship this year, we're going to be utterly unbearable. Um, but I'm okay with that. Let's let's be back there. <laughs> I'd, I'd much rather people hate us uh, for that reason. You know that that'd be nice. You know what? I'm
0: totally. Totally. I'm obnoxious as it is, so I think adding another layer of reason for being obnoxious, uh, I'm totally fine with.
1: All right, Gerald, so now we're going to do uh, the segment formerly known as Godzillatron. Just call it the giant screen in the uh, south end zone, S-E-Z-S-E-Z. Gerald, what are you watching on your giant screen.
0: Uh, it's not so giant, but that's okay. Uh, so I, am continuing to watch Lovecraft country every week as it comes out. Uh, that show episode two is kind of, kind of a, a letdown. Episode three was real, real good. And again, they're doing that thing that I really appreciate where they take like the horror movie tropes and they set them against like the real world, scary stuff that was happening in, in 1950s Jim Crow United States. So it's really, really, really good uh, show. There are a ton of layers to it. I really appreciate it. Again, if you're not into scary stuff, do not watch it. Uh, because it is a decidedly scary show. I continue to plow my way through um, historical audiobooks as I clean the house. I polished off George Washington a few weeks ago. I've now moved on to Ulysses S. Grant. So I'm excited to find out more about uh, one of the best generals in U.S. history. It's
1: fantastic. I, uh, I, I, I will not watch it because I don't like scary shows, but I love that you love it. I love the idea of it. I can't, I will second it blind because I'll never watch it. I, I, I mean, I don't watch scary movies. That's not my thing. You'll never catch me doing that. But I did catch up a bit. I, I'm I'm still behind. I will admit it here first, folks. Caught up on all the Mississippi last chance youth. Um, I had seen the first season real time, and then I just missed it. I don't know why. Never got back to it. Um, but I, I, I caught up. I, I finished there, and I've now started in Kansas um, with... Uh, <laughs> A, a much ridiculous character who I hear just it just sticks out like a sore thumb in the middle of Kansas. Um, it, it, I would recommend it highly if you're one of the people like me who, for whatever reason, love college football but hadn't watched Last Chance U, which again you'll see a lot of players you recognize from college football recruiting or making their way back into mainly um, Lane Kiffin's schools. Um, I, I, you know, I, I uh, it's a great show, I, and I am excited because the first show uh, in Independence, Candace, Uh, Kansas featured um, a a, uh, white kid from Compton talking about um, the Compton life and guns and then going to, to Kansas and seeing a guy pull out a gun towards the cow that had scrambled onto their practice field. Um, and freaking out then only to realize it was a tranquilizer for a, a loose cow who'd gotten out and just watching the multitude multitude of players who were not from Kansas nor rural areas not know how to react to a bovine. Um, it was amazing. It was great TV. Um, I I'm, I'm, will be finishing it. It's the show I watch on my own when I watch my wife. I'm still watching New Girl. Goodness, Gerald. There are like 24 episodes, I- at least in the first season, because I thought I was in like season three. I'm only in, like, episode, I don't know, five, four of season two um, because there are, again, 24 episodes. They're short, but goodness, there's a lot of episodes of New Girl, but it's great. Uh, I reiterate what I said last week. I love me some Schmidt uh, from New Girl. It's great. The
0: show's great. It show's absolutely great. Yeah. Uh, Independence, Kansas gets real weird real fast. Season two of Independence uh, is uh, just a little um, little terrible, so I'll just be really honest with you. It's good to watch, but it goes off the rails real
1: real fast that's all we've got for you
0: this week kyle where can good folks find you on the internet
1: oh you can find me on twitter at kyle carbon you can also follow uh the texas pre-gamer at texas Pregamer.
0: you can follow me on twitter i'm at gh show on twitter at longhorn pod shoot us an email LonghornRepublicPod at gmail at gmail.com thank you so much for tuning in again this week and until next time hook 'em,
1: hook 'em, hook get me in punting